I mean, there's so much more to life. You just got to you have to have the courage to look at yourself and say, is that really how I want to live? Is that really true? It's probably not true. And I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, you do that. I do that. We all do that. The question is, do we keep doing it? Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have an extraordinary guest to join us today on the show. New York Times bestselling author, Flip Flippin, who is recognized as one of the top leadership thought leaders in America, a prominent global keynote speaker, and the founder of the Flippin Group, one of the fastest growing educator training, corporate talent, and team development companies in the United States, is here to talk to us today. His newest book, Your Third Story, Author the Life You Were Meant to Live, shows us that there's more to life than what is written and empowers us with tools and inspirations to write our third story on our own terms. And we're going to talk about that today. Recognized as one of the top leadership thought leaders in America, Flippin is a best-selling author, serial entrepreneur, and philanthropist. He has founded numerous successful companies and has worked with some of the most prominent leaders in the world. From his early career working with kids in gangs to his later work in the boardrooms and classrooms, Flippin has dedicated himself to helping people write a new story, and we're going to do the same with each and every one of you today. Flip, welcome to the show. It is fantastic to have you. Yeah, good morning, Dr. Richard. It's good to be here. So Flip, there's so many things we could talk about today, and I'm so excited about what we're going to go over. But as you know, I love to have people come on this show and talk to me about their why. What really fired you to get you started doing things you're doing today and helping so many people? You know, Dr. Richard, that's really a great question. And I get that a lot, but I have a very different kind of career track than most people. When I I got out of graduate school, I started working with gang kids. I started a free nonprofit outpatient clinic. And I actually spent 16 years doing that. Grew that up to a large clinic and a 500-acre residential treatment center, et cetera. But behind all of that philosophy is one thought, and that is that there's more. I saw all these kids that they had this potential, but they had nowhere to go with it. They didn't know how to tap into that. And uh, so that, that was really the driver. And it still is today. I just believe there's more in every one of us. Outstanding. So when you started doing that work, particularly working with with young people in gangs, what were some of the early lessons and and the powerful experiences that you took from that? You know, Dr. Richard, one of the the most powerful things I saw is you had this potential. I saw kids solving problems that, that honestly very few of us really ever even have to address. You know, how do I get home safe? How do I walk through the neighborhood? How do I get to the store and get back without getting mugged or robbed or beat up? How do I 
keep from getting jumped into a gang? How do I keep my siblings from being hurt, molested, impacted, whatever? A lot of these kids were trying to figure out how to protect their mom from abuse. And we're talking about, you know, 10, 11, 12-year-old kids that were put in these awkward situations. They were solving tough problems. But when it came to school and when it came to getting into the business world, they, they really just had no idea how to do that. And, but here's the, here's the deal behind that. They told themselves stories. They told themselves reasons why they could not do these things. And they believed those reasons. And the people around them believed those reasons. And so it allowed them to really stay stuck simply because of the stories they told themselves. Once you could begin to penetrate into those stories and get them to challenge some of their own thinking, a whole different world opened up for them. And for and for me personally, you know, as a shrink especially, and I know you know this, but for me personally, I was excited to kind of see these light bulbs go off. So it was a, it was a great time, a great time of learning for me, for sure. That's outstanding. You're absolutely right. You know, from a psychology standpoint, we talk a lot about those things as cognitive distortions, right? The things that we believe that we pull information from our environment to feed us as true, but they're actually not true. And oftentimes they hold us back in, in so many different ways. So I love that you shared that. And so take us forward a little bit. You've been working with these youth and, and now you know, you're out of graduate school. Take us through the next step. Talk to us about you know, the, these companies you built, the serial entrepreneur aspect of your life? Well, that, you know, that's something that we're very proud of. And, and it, you, you know as well as I do, Dr. Richard, you don't build something by yourself. So we have an amazing team around us. And, you know, even when it started out just with my secretary, I mean, that was the foundation of it. And then from there, we've built a, a company that has a pretty heavy global reach now. But, you know, here's, here's what I saw is that when we were working with these kids, seeing them really begin to tap into the potential in their life, it opened up so many doors for them. And you do that long enough, you start impacting schools, teachers start seeing and administrators see it. And, and in Texas, what happened is the governor's office called and they asked if I'd serve on some committees and would I be involved in trying to work with higher at-risk kids and help other people do that. And then the next thing that happened is the governor called and said, well, you know, would you put this in public school? And so the commissioner of education in Texas came to my office, met with me. I had his entourage with him. It was, a, it was an interesting time because I'd not interacted uh, very much with the governor or their staff at that time. And so after 16 years, they were like, we want this expanded dramatically in the public school system. And so they came, and, and shortly after that, I left the nonprofit. There's a great story in the book about the, how that all took place. It's, I think it's well worth reading. Um, but, but what took place with that is that we began to teach people how to work with high average kids. And then out of that came our education programs. Capturing Kids' Hearts is the, kind of the foundation program there. Our belief is that if you have a child's heart, you have his head. Now, you know, Dr. Richard, there's a trap there that you and I both know, and that is that we know how to hack into people's heads. I know you do because of your training, and I, I do as well. And so the question is, is how do you get inside somebody's mind and really turn it on? And there are a lot of tricks to that, things that you can do. So we started teaching that in the school system, and that's what launched that first company. 
you know, that makes a ton of sense to me. And you're absolutely right. Uh, and the term hacking someone's head is, is so good. So let's talk about a little bit more how you've taken that knowledge that you learned in the school system and how you've applied that into the corporate world. Well, you know, let's just think for a minute about being engaged and levels of engagement. I mean, if, if I can hack into your brain, then I'm going to get more mind share. You're going to pay more attention to what we're doing. If I know that that tends to run on a 17 to 23 minute uh, sine wave, if you will, then I know that every once in a while we need these little brain breaks and how do we make that work? If I'm trying to relax this uh, freeze, flight, or fight part of your amygdala so that I actually get much higher levels of attentiveness, if I know how to do that and I can teach you how to do that, then our levels of engagement go up. The exact same thing is true. It's true. It's true if it's a gang kid. It's true if it's on Wall Street in the boardroom. And so the question there is, if I have higher levels of engagement, does that also raise the levels of performance? And I, I know, Dr. Richards, you know this as well as I do, that it does. It drives engagement. It drives performance up pretty dramatically. Now, now the next question is, is can you scale that in a company? Can you scale that in a school system? Can you scale that? Can you take that down the hall in school? Can you walk that out into the streets if you own a company? And, and, of course, what it does is you build a culture. That culture becomes very strong, which obviously drives to higher performance, retention, and all kinds of neat things like that. So it's, a, it's really a pretty cool process. It is a cool process. And you talked about scalability. So for somebody who's in the process listening to this and they're building an organization, what are some of the top tips that you would give them to, to do that? Well, you know, I think culture trumps strategy. I really do. I see guys all the time. They've got beautiful strategic initiatives, but they don't know how to build an organization. Now, I see amazing business plans and that sort of thing, and people present them to us a good bit. The thing that I think is missing there is that they don't know how to build a team. They don't know how to get the right people. They don't know how to recruit them. They don't know how to retain them. They don't know how to develop them. And if I had a really good question for you, you know, it's like our work in professional sports. If you look at that and you say, we're going to go get a really hot talent, the question one is, what are the risk factors that come with that hot talent? But the second thing is, how do you integrate them into your team so that you get a high-performing organization with that? And so you look at this talent integration strategy, how do you bring people in, and then how do you help that team really optimize? And we have a process for that that's called Teamalytics, using a bunch of behavioral analytics, and that's what but that's, that's one of the things, is building the right team. That's one of the first things. And then the second thing is, is how do you devise the right strategy and learn how to execute that? It's, if you really look at those two things, I think those are the two foundational things. I'd love to dive in a little bit deeper on some of your strategies to building the right team. Well, good. So, so for us first, you know, if I ask you a question, this is a great question. You know, what's more important, the mission or the team? Yeah, we do a good bit of work in the military and everything from special forces to the Pentagon. And we've got four-star retired in the company, three-star retired in the company, and a lot of amazing military people. But if I ask you which one's more important, the team or the mission, most everybody, simply because of the culture 
in tone of today, the very first thing they're going to say is, well, it's that team. But that's really not true. It is really not true. Actually, if you have a compelling mission, if you have a mission you're trying to execute, that mission is more important. So you build the team for that mission. And especially when you look at the military, we've had a lot of discussions around this. And, you know, Dr. Richard, it's fascinating because on the, on the one hand, it's a tough choice. But the reality is that if we have a mission to execute, we're going to send some of our team members into situations that in those scenarios could actually be uh, fatal for them. And so you have to stop and say, what is our mission? I want people to serve emotionally compelling reasons. I want them to have a purpose that is so important to them that they won't compromise their mission to accommodate people on the team that are toxic or difficult or underperformers. So that, that's one of the key things that we look at is what's our mission? Is it compelling? Are we conveying that in a compelling way? And then the second part is, have we got the right team to execute that mission? And that's a tough deal. When you're sorting through that, it's people you care about and that sort of thing. It's a tough deal to this question. That makes a lot of sense because if you think about what Bob Burke says, and he talks about having this mission-driven purpose for your corporation, it, it does make sense that you have the team fit the mission. So that, that's outstanding information. And I, I love the way that you framed that. I would like to ask you something next. I want to get into the book and certainly give you time to talk about your third story, author, the life you were meant to live. What was your inspiration for writing that book? I think, honestly, it was seeing the, the and this is a little tough, but it's seeing the lies that people tell themselves. I just, I would listen to those. and I'd be sitting there thinking, seriously, do you believe what you're telling me? And I, I see companies do it. I see all kinds of organizations do it. I see people do it. I see families do it. I see spouses do it. I see kids do it. And, and nobody ever challenges it. Let me tell you how that works. You know, I, something takes place. Everything we do has a story. I mean, the, the code I have on, the fact that you and I are talking, there's a story behind all of that. The question is, is it true? So we stop and say, okay, today we're talking because there's a story. Is, is that true? Is it not true? Is it accurate? Is it correct? You know, I've got travel all this week. You know, what's the story behind that? Here's what happens, Dr. Richard, is that we tell ourselves stories to make us feel good and okay, like we are where we are. Now, just think for a minute. Go back to when you were dating and when I was dating. There are girls we asked out, girls we didn't ask out. There are people we wanted to be with, people we didn't want to be with. The, the question is, is, what was the story we told ourselves? And was that true? So take us a little deeper than that. So this book is about these stories. And, and it's really awesome because what you're basically saying is you're bringing it back full circle to the work that you did with these children and gangs is that everything was about this story that they were telling themselves where they were stuck. And here now you've kind of translated that and taken that forward into writing this whole book that's applicable to people, whether they're in a business setting or not. So I love that. You know, to me, Dr. Rich, it's really fascinating. I mean, just stop and think. Let me give you a corporate example on a big scale. I mean, who invented digital photography? I mean, who is the company that did that? I mean, that, that's really pretty cool because that's the basis of part of what we're doing right now. 
Do you know who invented digital photography? My guess would be Kodak, but uh, Kodak. yeah. I mean, Kodak, of all things. But, but that didn't fit the story that the execs told themselves. And so the R&D group comes up with something that's quite amazing. Yeah, but it didn't fit the narrative that was being told at the executive level. We're a film company. That story is actually no different than a kid walking down the street saying, oh, I could never go to college. I could never leave this neighborhood. I could never have a career. I could own my own car. I could never have a house. You know, I mean, I see this with people all the time. We tell ourselves things that it doesn't fit where we are. For example, a kid walking down the street in the hood, he's sitting here saying, well, I could never own a car. I could never go to college. I could never build a house. I could never have a family. I could never. And I hear that kind of thing, and I'm like, really? Why not? I mean, why couldn't you? Uh, well, nobody around me ever did. And so what we really do, Dr. Richard, we tell ourselves a story. And when it becomes believable to us, then we walk that story around with a few friends, we get them to agree with us, and then that becomes our story. And we live inside that story the rest of our lives. It's ridiculous. I mean, there's so much more to life. You just got to, you have to have the courage to look at yourself and say, is that really how I want to live? Is that really true? It's probably not true. And I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, you do that. I do that. We all do that. The question is, do we keep doing it? So the book is called Your Third Story. Tell us about what you just described. Is that the first story, the second story? Where does what you just described fit into this? Well, it's fascinating because the, the first story, you know, if I, if I said, Dr. Richard, tell me your story. Most people say, well, I was born here. I grew up here. I went to school here. I did this and this and this. And, and I'm sitting here listening to that. And it's a great story. It's certainly part of life. But here's the catch. You didn't write that story. You were born into that story. That's not really your story. And so if I said, tell me your story, that's not it. It's part of your life. It's not your story. That second story, that story begins usually in adolescence. And that's when we begin to tell ourselves things to make us okay. We say, this is why I did such and such or didn't do such and such. And there's a story behind that. And the problem with that is that we don't know what's true and what's not true. You know, for example, I, I didn't play football in school. I played baseball. Why, why didn't I play football? I, you know, I love baseball. I'm suited for baseball. Now, is that true? Is that true? Would you have any reason to know if that's true or not? No, you wouldn't. You would nod your head and say, well, yeah, I played baseball, you know. But why did I not play football. I didn't like the contact sport. Now, do you tell people, I don't like getting the daylights beat out of me every day? That's not what you tell people. That's not the story you say. You say, you know what? I love baseball. And I really was a pretty good baseball player. So, but I didn't play in the pros. And why didn't I play in the pros? Well, you know, I wanted to focus on my grades. I wanted to go to college. And is that true? That's not true either. The truth is, I'm not good enough to play in the pros. I mean, I sit with those guys all the time. Now, the work we do, I can promise you, I lied to myself. 
And it was not about my grades. It was about my ability. But you don't tell people that. So that's what happens in that second story. You get lost in your own lies and you begin to believe them and live them out. Hey, guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. So tell us about the third story. And before we jump into the third story, talk to us about how we recognize all of the falsehoods that are built into our first and second stories, because I imagine that that's a critical component before we start flipping that script. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And, and thank you for saying flipping that script. <laughs> you know, we thought about that when we were thinking about titles. We will hear third story uh, because flipping your script is, uh, I don't know, it seems a little bit too catchy, especially after our first book was called The Flip Side. And enough flips is enough, you know. <laughs> so let me tell you about what leads to this third story. There's going to be an event. Something's going to take place in your life. And you're going to have this insight where, you know, I think what I believe is not really true. And when you have that, you really have to have the courage to stop and look at your life and say, oh, my gosh, is this true or not true? But here's where it falls apart. Most people don't have the courage to do that. You know, it's one thing if I come on the air and I lie to you. I mean, odds are high, you'll never know it. I mean, I can tell you whatever. And you're like, golly, okay, maybe, maybe not. But it's not, it's not really material if I lied to you or not, unless it's a big deal in a deposition. But when I lie to myself, when I tell myself things that are not true, that's a material event. And when I begin to do that enough where I really start believing the stories I'm telling myself, now I'm getting lost in my own story. And that's where people really get stuck. And, and Dr. Richard, candidly, that's why so many people have small eyes. You know, I just got back from Zimbabwe. I've been all over the world. I've built multiple companies. I've, I've had an amazing life. I love what I do. I love my wife, my children. We've raised 20 kids. We've had, a, we've had a great time. But all of that came about because I quit lying to myself about things. And that's the tough part of it. You've got to have the courage to really take a hard look at your life. And I promise you, everybody, everybody does that. The question is, do they have the courage to look at it? It's oftentimes, it's, it's not only a combination of the courage, but it's is the pain they're experiencing large enough for them to want to take that leap and start making some changes in their life. So I, I love I love that you say that. So let's let's now, with that framework in place, let's talk about the third story and how one goes about writing that. Well, you know, that's a that's a great that's a great story. To get that, you've got to get the book. 
<laughs> well, give, give, give us a tease so that people get excited about it. We don't want to give away all the keys to the castle here. <laughs> we can do that pretty easy. We really can. You know, so let's, let's back up. And I, I'll tell you a story. out of You know, and this is what I did. And this is really what opened this whole way of thinking for me. But, you know, when I was at A&M and you know, I was working on my doctorate there and having a great time, I was finishing my master's and going straight into my doctoral program. And I was totally pumped about that. And, but I got to present a paper. And when I presented that paper, I was pretty excited about it. It was in D.C. and I, I thought it was really cool. You know, I was young. I was full of myself and uh, literally full of myself. Which, which didn't leave a lot of room for other people, by the way. Uh, but when I was there, I got uh, an introduction to a guy named Dr. Talcott Parsons. And Dr. Parsons is the world's foremost systems theorist. And he invited me to come to Harvard and to finish my doctorate at Harvard. And, I mean, golly, that's, that is as amazing as it could possibly get. I'd get an assistantship with him. This is an unreal deal. So I have a question. Did I go to Harvard and finish my doctorate or not? What did I do? My guess is that you stayed right where you were. And, and of course I stayed where I am. I mean, Dr. Richard, think about it. I'm making the same thing here at A&M that I'd make in Harvard. I've never been that far north at that point. I don't have clothes for that area. My family doesn't really want me to move. And, and besides that, everybody knows that a PhD from a is as good as a PhD from Harvard. Yeah, you enjoyed that as much as I did. <laughs> and, but here's what you do, Dr. Richard. This is the thing, is that I tell myself that story, and then I walk it around with some friends, and I tell them just what I've told myself. And when they're nodding in agreement, I'm like, that's my story. That is my story. And so I stayed at A&M and I didn't go to Harvard and I'm totally happy about that until I'm like 27, 28, 29 years old. And I tell that story to somebody that I don't really know that way. And they look at me and they said, what? And I said, no, that's why I didn't go. Do you know how stupid that is? And I was like, what do you mean? They said, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. You're telling me you turned that down because you didn't have the clothes? It was too far away? Oh, my gosh, what an idiot. Now, now I've got to tell you, Dr. Rich, I did not want to hear that any more than anybody else wants to hear that. But it was true. What he was saying to me was true. It was very blunt and very candid, but it was true. And so there are these moments where you really can look at something and say, oh, oh my Lord, you wouldn't tell that story to somebody that's going to disagree with it or challenge it. So we just tell it to our friends. So the first thing I want you to do is, is just think of some situations in your life where you really have done that. And we all have them. In fact, I'd love to hear one of yours, Dr. Richard. Let's do a two-way interview. <laughs> wow. All right. So ask me ask me the direct question. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the time in your life when you just flat lied to yourself? You told yourself something that you wanted to believe because it just sounded good to you. It felt good. 
So I, I think it definitely would be a period in my life where after I had my car accident and broke my back and I went back to the business I was building, I absolutely knew in my heart that I didn't want to be there and was making myself miserable because of fear of letting down people around me who believed in me to do this thing. But I kept coming up with ways to tell people why I needed to continue in that role. And the more I did it, uh, the, the more unhappy I ultimately became. And I look back on it now, like, why would anybody stay in a role for two years that, that made them miserable? But for a lot of reasons, I told myself a whole lot of stories and, and kept maintaining the status quo. There you are. That's it exactly. And everything you just said is exactly what I believe. You stayed in that situation for these reasons. You told yourself a story. And that took two years of your life before you stopped and looked at it. But if you think about it, you could have easily said, you know, I broke my back. I've had a catastrophic event. I, I think I'll just retire. I think I'll go on disability. I think I'll quit. I think nobody recovers from this. You can tell yourself all kinds of stories. But that was the one you told yourself. And somewhere in there, I don't know when it was, but somewhere in there, Dr. Richard, what you did is you looked at that story and you thought, this is pathetic. This is absolutely pathetic. Why am I doing this? And that's the epiphany that we look for. Tell me what you're thinking. I love it. I mean, you're, you're exactly right on it. And it, it's something that I went through. It's something that we all go through is that, as I said, for me, you know, to bring it back to pain, the, the pain got... And this was emotional pain, not physical pain. But the pain was strong enough for me to make a shift. And so a lot of times, even if we know, it's like the, the analogy I use a lot of times or used to use with patients was, so you can jump on a scale and you can see a number and know that that's a number you're unsatisfied with and feel a certain way about it. But then tell yourself a story as to why you're not going to change your diet and, and then hop on the couch and fire up Netflix and, and grab a bag of chips, right? So it's, it's something that everybody can relate to absolutely and can be applied to our professional lives, can be applied to decisions we make in our personal lives. So I love the way that you framed all this in these different stories. And, and something that I want to talk very briefly about, so when we're building that story, when we're getting ready to start that step, talk to us about a few key points there. And then I'm really excited to hear you talk about Story Dragons, which is featured in chapter six of this book. <laughs> well, that's really, that's really good. And, and Dr. Richard, thanks for sharing your own personal story, because, because that's really what it comes down to. You know, so that first part, again, is we want to find a reason. We want to find something that you tell on yourself that's not true. Once you have the courage to look at that, now you start thinking, what could be true? You know, what, what could you do with your life? Now, this, this is going to sound a little high in the sky or perhaps even rude or blunt. But, and this is the first time you and I have a chance to visit like this. So, Dr. Richard, I want to tell you straight up, you are absolutely not living the fullest life that you could live yet. Tell me more. <laughs> Well, you know it's true. Yeah, it, it, it's true for everybody. Like, and that's... It, is, it is true for everybody. You know, it's funny whenever I say that to you, we kind of like, uh, okay, wait a minute, I'm living a pretty good life here. Yeah, you are. You are. But it's not your fullest life. There is always more. It doesn't matter who it is. I mean, I, 
I could not be happier. I could not be more fulfilled, except that there really is more. There is more that I can do. There's, there's more philanthropic work that I can do. There's more outreach to other people that I can do. There's always more. I can be a better husband. I can be a better father. I can be a better grandfather. I can be a better colleague. I can be a better boss. I can be a better entrepreneur. I just have to find out where that is and what that looks like. How do I get access to that? Even in business, if you, if you stop and think, I see people tell themselves stories all the time. And it lets them stay right where they are, just like they are. I mean, go back and, and think for a minute. How many stories do you think Enron told themselves? And I knew oh my it. Goodness. I mean, Dr. Richard, I was at Ken Lay's house having a private dinner with about 15 other people. And he had to leave. Ken Lay, as you know, you know, was the founder of him, chairman mm-hmm. of the board. Ken had to leave that dinner to go meet with his attorneys because he was getting ready to be indicted. What were the stories that Ken was telling himself? What about Jeff Skilling? What about Andy Fasto? What about what were the stories they they told themselves stories that were not true? What about Best Buy? What's the stories that they for us? I think they've told themselves some stories, and they believe those stories until it's too late, until they've lost those opportunities. So the Enron story in particular was so powerful. Because obviously they were telling themselves stories up until the very end, and then a bunch of those people went to jail. So you wrote this book so that people could write that third story and live their lives without regrets and and looking back at all these disappointing moments. Give us a couple actionable steps that people can start taking today to write that new story. Well, let's come back to what we're saying. One is that you you have to have the courage to say, Mm -hmm. I really take a look at my life. And if you're happy where you are, uh, like you are, as you are doing what you're doing, and you have no reason to take a look at your life, odds are good you're not going to. If you have an emotionally compelling reason to change, and let me point out, that's the only reason people change. Mm -hmm. We like to say that we're rational. You tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. That'll do something for the short term. That's not going to cure you. That will not take you where you want to go. You have to have an emotionally compelling reason. So that's part of that. In the corporate world, there's some great examples of that, though, where people find that reason and they look at it and they do something about it. So let's let's dive a little deeper into the corporate examples. In the corporate world, they do something about it. So first step, what would be the first step if you were in a in a professional setting to making that you know, we we've established the courage, we know that there's something there, a pain point. What's the next, what's the thing that you have to do after that? Well, let, let me give you a fun example. This is a, a client company of ours, one that we were involved with. But you remember, you remember the old Beal TV guide? Yeah, sure. Remember that? You'd open your newspaper, and there's the TV guide, and it's telling you what's coming up on TV. And you keep that. Sometimes it was a, a dropout that you could just lay next to your chair there while you're watching TV. And then you flip through the channel guide. Well, how's that working for you? You're using that a lot today. Nobody's I mean, using that today, right? It's all you click the guide button on your remote control. That's right. So the so the guys that were back behind that, there's a gentleman named Fred Amorosa. And Fred sat down with his team many, many years ago and he said, you know, I think this is going in a different direction. He could have easily said, now, now TV guide is still out. 
And it's actually a thriving company. It's just doing a lot of different things. But one of the things that came out of that is that Fred quit telling himself a story. He said, where's this going? And he pulled his team together and they sat down around uh, the boardroom and they said, okay, we think it's going to go electronic. We think it's going to be digital. We think it's going to be possible to click a button. And when you click a button, it's going to show you what the TV guide looks like. In fact, we think if it's possible, we could click on a show and click on a button and it would tell us about the show. Oh my gosh, if we could do that, why don't we just click on a person in the show and find out what other shows they've been on? What if I wanted to know his background in history? And so they sat there and literally designed all of that for one reason. They quit lying to themselves. They quit telling themselves, you know what, this is such a good gig, it's going to last forever. Those things don't last forever. There's nothing you or I do that is going to last forever other than caring about people. So you've got to have the courage. And then you sit down and you challenge it. You look at it. You dream. What could it be? What could I do? Where can I go? How can I live? It's a, to me, it's the most exciting thing in the world. I love that. That is a profound example similar to the to the Kodak one, except they actually stopped lying to themselves and they were able to turn things around in a great way. Uh, let's talk for a couple moments about story dragons, because I know that's a prominent part of your book. Tell us what story dragons are. Well, it's these things that come in and they slay our dreams. They, they tell us that what we're doing, it, you couldn't do that. You could never do that. That won't work for you. That couldn't happen for you. That's not a possibility for you. Why would you think you could do that? There are all of these forces that come against us. Hey, you could not be more. And you have, to, you have to realize, too, other people write scripts for you. And they write scripts they expect you to live. I see this with women all the time. In fact, I, I was just talking to some of my granddaughters the other day, and I just made the comment, could you do anything you want to do? And, of course, we raised pretty bold kids. And she's like, I, I can. Of course I could. And I said, what if you wanted to be a soldier? Oh, well, I don't know about girl soldiers. And I was like, why not? Why not? Could you not be a girl soldier? I happen to know some women that are generals. What? And you see these little stories that other people write for people. And they begin to believe those scripts that that's not something a woman could do. But it actually is. So it, it happens all the time. We see it around us all the time. Makes perfect sense. Flip, I could talk to you for hours more. This has been so much fun, but we're we're at time here. As you know, everybody who comes on the show, I ask them a single question, and that is, what is your biggest helping? The most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? Uh, you know, the biggest thing for me is that there's more... There is so much more than what you've ever dreamed of. You've got more potential than you have ever imagined. And it doesn't matter where you are today. There is more. Challenge where you are. Challenge what you're thinking. Challenge what you're looking at. And stop and say, what else could I do with my life? What are the stories I'm telling myself? And once you find those and break free of those, there's a world out there so large you can't even imagine. So my parting deal is there's more. Dr. Richard, there's more for you, there's more for me, there's more for everybody. And what a great time being with you today. Thanks for having me.
Thanks for that. I, I really appreciate it. This has been a pleasure to have you on the show. Flip, tell us where people can find out about you and get their hands on this book. Well, the easiest way is just uh, go on and search Flip Flippin, uh, Flippin Group, F-L-I-P-P-E-N. And obviously you can get the book uh, through Amazon's easy, but you can get it any place. The title of it is Your Third Story, Author the Life You Were Meant to Live. Fantastic. And for those of you at the gym, we got you covered. Everything Flip Flippin will be linked in our show notes at thedailyhelping.com, as well as in the Daily Helping app available in iTunes and the Google Play Store. Well, Flip, this was absolutely a blast. Thanks for coming on the show today. I loved it. Thanks, Dr. Richard. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. And thanks to each and every one of you as well who chose to tune into this episode. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because this is what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for someone else, especially if you don't know who they are. And post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. <laughs>